This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Three titles on the line this weekend at UFC 261 in a full house in Jacksonville. You've got Kamaru Usman defending his title once more against Jorge Masvidal. Zhang Wei Li against the former champion, Rose Namajunas. And Valentina Shevchenko against the former strawweight champion, Jessica Andraj. A pretty stacked card to look mm-hmm. at. Uh, Joe, nice to have you here to, uh, to break this down with me. And yeah, I'm excited. This this card uh, this weekend, I'm really excited for. And I think the fight I got to start off with here that, that I'm most excited for after watching the countdowns and all the pre-hypes and the embedded, I think the fight I'm most excited for has to be the Rose-Zhang uh, Wei Li fight, to be honest with you. I think that's the fight I'm most uh, amped up for this weekend. Well, based on the odds, it's the most competitive fight. Um, and I'm certainly looking forward to that one, too, because... You know, I I still I think that Zhang has uh you know if I had to make a pick I think Zhang is going to win the fight I think her physicality is going to be something that Rose is going to have some difficulty with but Rose is so diverse so creative has so many yeah. different uh, things in her bag of tricks that you just cannot write her off she's a, she's an awesome striker at range she's got those uh you know really crafty submissions I think she's going to have a lot that she can throw at Zhang. Yeah, especially with the way she moves her inner and out uh, her angles, but. You know, Zhang Weili, that crushing forward power. I mean, it's a it's a fight of styles, and I think the opposite styles really makes this a exciting fight because Lee's gonna have to get in there. She's gonna have to hit, eat some jabs, walk forward. But I think as the fight goes on, she'll be able to kind of close that distance down and get some good work done. So I'm excited, pumped. Yeah, I'm I'm eager to see how Rose does in a five round fight against someone like Zhang, who's gonna be pressuring her the whole time. I mean, yeah. we saw in that fight with Andrade, she won the first two rounds and then slowed down in the third when Andrade really started to turn up the heat. So uh, that was in the second fight between them, of course. And uh, yeah, very very eager to see how she does. I also think Andrade versus Shevchenko is a sneaky good fight. I, I can't believe how long the odds are now for Andrade at plus three forty. I mean, I think you almost have to take her at that price. I think she's the most competitive. Uh, opponent that Valentina's had since Joanna, and I think that having you know having fought at 135 pounds before, even though Andrade is kind of small, I think next to to Shevchenko, she's certainly not going to look that small. Yeah, and I mean that's probably the closest odds we've seen in a Shevchenko fight in a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I yeah. Can't well, see. let's let's I... take a look at the last here. I'll, I'll pull up. I'll pull up the odds. So I know Joanna, she wasn't as big of a favorite. She was a minus 300 favorite against Joanna. So okay. against Jessica I, minus ten forty against Carmouche, yep. minus a thousand against yep. Kikagian, minus seven seventy, and against Maya, minus one oh two five. So these are like Demetrius Johnson type odds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's that's why I'm saying to see a plus three forty in Andrade, it's 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 pretty uh, impressive. But I think Shevchenko, like I just watched her in in the countdown, maybe about half hour before doing this show. Man, her sparring is just vicious like she's like i mean the footage she was that she was showing in the countdown she's whipping back kicks at at her sparring partners and really whipping good punches like man she's she's tough man there's a reason why you know besides nunez i think she's the other female top well i imagine andraja's uh, sparring is probably pretty hard too <laughs> given yeah, given yeah. where she comes from like a very very uh, destitute area of brazil i'm sure there wasn't easy an easy path for her to get to where she is it was actually cool to see her countdown i, I keep referencing it but she's in part of more of like a, a big class community training like it's that's what i love about the countdowns you see andraja is in a big class in in, in brazil with a, like maybe 40 50 students and she's just learning and doing the drills of the class where Shevchenko has more of that individualized coach with her sister, the, the smaller team. So that's my, my favorite part of kind of getting to know the teams and the camps. Yeah, you don't see Coach Pavel, her coach, like training a lot of people. Like, it's just her and Antonina. No. And they travel the world yeah. together and they go everywhere together and, and do all kinds Shoot of training. Shoot guns and train. Shoot yeah, guns exactly. and train. I and like dance. it. And dance and cook. And she dance. likes to cook also. Yeah, I'd be good on their team. That, that's I'd be a nice addition you just like to, to cook, chill Joe? and travel. I do. I yeah. actually do. COVID has made me cook a lot more since I haven't been traveling, but that's basically the things I like to do. I like to fight. I like to shoot, you know, guns and, and part of the gun community as, as well as cook and eat. And dancing so, wouldn't hurt your worked. footwork either. And I could learn a little bit more dancing, so I could what's, improve what's on it. What's the best meal you've made yourself in COVID? I am not a 
quality meal. I'm more of a I eat for health. So I mean, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I'm a quality been, meal. <laughs> just, no. just making trays of food. <laughs> I've been experimenting a lot with different types of wraps. So I make like a nice breakfast burrito, and then I'll do like a nice chicken wrap. I've done ground beef wraps. Um, I cook a lot with potatoes. So I basically use basic ingredients, but I'll, I'll mix them up. So I'll always eat. A lot of broccoli, a lot of chicken, and a lot of potatoes. But you, the way I eggs? mix it up is nice. Oh, I at least six eggs a day. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, eggs yeah. and potatoes is just a great combo. Like you just oh, can't beautiful. go wrong. <laughs> oh, you make it eggy and yolky, so that the yolk runs all over the egg with a lot of cheese in there. It's it's nice. I think it's a Spanish dish that makes it uh, eggs bra brava bravado. I don't, I don't, I'm just I don't butchering know. it, but Probably. it's a Spanish dish that has <laughs> eggs and potatoes and cheese. That's phenomenal. All right. Hey, uh, yeah. you should watch. Uh, there's a video of, of Aaron Jeffrey and what he makes himself. He makes himself something called mush. Like he, they just call it mush. He just takes all kinds of foods and mixes it, mixes it all together. Into I do some like porridge. Yeah. yeah, I do some of those. It's made a lot with like oat, peanut butters, uh, protein powders, and you just kind of mush things together. And like sometimes I'll add like uh, chocolate, uh, dark chocolate. He chips does it with veggies and like healthy. potatoes and stuff and eggs and like he does that oh, kind okay. of thing. Nasty mush. I, I had that do like a dessert mush with like oats and peanut yeah, butter. It's nicer. Yeah, he's he's uh, got um, a degree in nutrition from Brock University, so he like he's pretty well versed in uh, in that regard. I'm sure. Have yeah. you met Aaron hey, Jeffrey looks... before? Uh, we've met. Yeah, yeah, we've met. But look, I, I mean, I think I follow him too on Instagram. But you can tell he's a nutritionist. Look at the shape the guy's in. 185. I, have, I haven't seen abs on abs on abs on, on a guy like that. But I don't know if it's um, out, but I've heard some positive news about uh, Aaron Jeffries and his team. What, that they're going to Contender Series? Him and uh, Jasmine are going to be on there the Contender go. Series. Okay. In I don't know yeah. if it was like secret news or if it was uh, out already, but uh, yeah. I gave Jasmine a shout-out when I spoke to Dana White uh, the other day. I, it wasn't during our on-air interview. It was afterwards. I said, hey, this girl Jasmine's coming to uh, the Contender Series. She just walks forward. And he's like, oh, what's yeah, her yeah. record? And I'm like, she's 5-1, and one, but the 1 is like a, was a robbery. <laughs> yeah. So I actually like that. The like, fight I like she her already. was pretty good, yeah. It's gonna be a good. She's gonna be a good addition. I think she's she's tough. She's aggressive. She grapples. She strikes. She doesn't care. Well, she's Dana White type of fighter. She walks forward. Perfect. She's long. She's rangy. She's got kind of like a Joanna type build, and she's oh, yeah. she's not afraid to just throw caution to the wind. I mean, she's gotten a little bit more strategic in her recent fights, but I think that she's the type of fighter that Dana White's gonna really like. Oh, for sure, hands down. That tall, long frame too. She's gonna do well. But hey, she's you gotta win. Well. Yeah, that's it. On and the I flip side of that, have you have Brazilian. you looked at the uh, the people on the Ultimate Fighter? Uh, I have not. There are like some guys in the bantamweight section that have they're like I would say combined opponent win record is like one and twenty five. Like I just couldn't believe when you go back and look at at some of their and, and I'm not taking anything away from them as fighters. It's not their fault. Maybe there are people that don't want to fight them. I don't know the whole story. But when you go back and look at their records. Uh, on tapology, they fought like guys that don't have wins, like, and they they're still managing to get an opportunity like this. It's just surprising to me that uh, that that. I, I mean, it could be just a a symptom of the uh, people wanting to get on contender series instead. You fight once, you win. If you you know you're impressive, you get in. Yeah. Ultimate yeah. fighter, you have to be on a show for two weeks, leave your family, you got to live with all these other alphas that that want to kill you. You know, like it's it's, it's yeah. a much it's... more stressful environment than yeah. just than being on the contender series, and you have to fight people. At, at the house that are going to be good for the most part, or at least if they're not good, there's still going to be people that uh, are probably tougher than the ones you've, you've fought previously. Uh, if, if you're going in with a guy, you know, having beaten people that have like a combined one and 36 record, you know, like it's, so that, that's the, uh, the part that surprises me. I almost think though, those shows are more for the athlete. That's like, okay, you can go, but we're going to see. I mean, if, if I'm managing a fighter now who, I know is good enough to be in the UFC. I almost don't want them to go the way of either of the shows. I don't want them to do the ultimate fighter and I don't want them to do contender series because (laughs) no, it's just one. You're, you're put in this forever. You're forever put in this box of the ultimate fighter or, I mean, it's worked out for a lot of good guys, but one, you're put in a box, but if something goes wrong, like on your one chance, like it's, it's fighting so many wrong things. A lot of people back for contender series that have lost before. Yeah, like I know Aaron Jeffries. I know he, yeah, he I, lost. Did he win? He lost. No, he lost to Brendan Allen. I mean, who again I mean, is a stud and now guy. killing yeah. it. Right. But yeah, so I think this will be Jeffries. Hopefully, his is coming because he he's he'll be a good grinder for it. But 
I just think that if you don't perform well and you have a bad night, like you, there's a good chance you might not be called back. Then you got to do three more fights in the regional sequence uh, series to get back. I'm like, it's just it's a lot of work and a lot of risk on one night. Your whole life comes down to one night, which I mean, is good for a lot of people. But if you have the opportunity to go the another way, I would think that would be ideal. All right, so let me give you the resume of one of the guys on the Ultimate Fighter in the Bantamweight division. I don't, I'm not going to name names, but they have a five and one record. The first okay. win was against an 0-2 guy. Second win, 0-0. Uh, third win, 0-4. Fourth win, 0-6. The one loss was to a guy who was 9-5. And, and then the the fifth win was a guy who was 1-12. So his opponents have a combined 1-24 and 24 record. And you're, on you know the, what and, I, and you're on the ultimate fighter. You know what I call that? What? Smart managing. I mean, I guess so, but they still have a loss to a guy who's 9-5. and five. So it's not like they, yeah. you know, it's it's not, not, like they're I undefeated. Mean, I mean, if outside of you, who's an investigative journalist, I mean, a lot of people will just say, hey, he's I'm hardly an investigative one. journalist. I'm just somebody who looks into <laughs> no, things. But, yeah, but I mean, more than most journalists out there, I would, I would say you do. Yeah. I mean, so I mean. Well, a lot of the people that cover the sport don't watch The Ultimate Fighter. They yeah. just ignore it. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not me, me included. Joe. I watch no. everything. No, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of not watching. And, and, too- and here's, here's another record. Hold on. I'm going to give you another one. The guy is 5-0. and oh. Win, wins over 0 and 8, 6 and 14, 0 and 4, 0 and 0, and 5 and 10. And they're on the show. Smart managing. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> it's not their fault. Smart managing. No, I'm they saying it's not their fault. They could be great the fighters. Show, yeah. They could be great fighters. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying that I don't think that that is a resume befitting of somebody who should be getting a chance at the UFC. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just think now, too, and, and, and the big issue is I just think it's hard and people are getting desperate. And it's just this COVID times, especially for Canadian, is crazy. I mean, we have Canadian, no Canadian MMA organizations really doing anything. Well, we got I mean, B- B- Battlefield is doing stuff. Battlefield, yeah, once in a while. There's no there's no longevity up. in career. There's not enough financial resources for someone who's dedicating their life full time to make a full time salary off of Battle Force or even even BTC. I'll call them out now. They're they're offering very insulting contracts. So I mean, I guess they're trying to save money. But they don't and, have crowds, right? Like they have to save the money. Yeah. And they don't have yeah. a broadcast deal either, do they? I don't think so. No. So I mean, I mean, it's a tough time for everyone, but yeah. I mean, it's but it's hard. Though. That's I the mean, reality of listen, Canadian. The thing MMA about promoters, scene, right? though, is that you're putting you're putting a lot of risk into doing these shows. And, I, and listen, I'm not saying that these fighters should be lowballed, and I'm not saying that they should accept offers for a, a small amount of money. It's, I mean, that's up to them. But yeah. if you're a promoter and you're you're building a show, it's very high risk. If if especially if there's no crowd, like I don't know how you're going to be able to to monetize something like that. I mean, there was a there's one boxing promotion actually in Quebec that uh, they did a show. Uh, my uh, my uh, VP Natalie Cook uh, told us this, so a shout out to her. But they did a, sh- a boxing event in the courtyard of a hotel, mm. and they instead of having people buy tickets, they basically bought hotel rooms so they could watch from their window. They could watch the event. Yeah, that's, that's pretty right. creative, man. I gotta <laughs> hand it to whoever came yeah. up with that idea. Well, I just think right now, honestly, I think it's a good time for a promoter if if you have you're gonna bank everything on pay per view anyways. If you were a small show, I mean. You're going to just hope people buy the pay-per-view stream and stuff. But, I mean, you can't ask fighters now to be literally have to pay their own travel, their own everything, and lose money to fight professionally. I think to lose money to fight professionally is just a, a sad day that the sport comes to. So, I mean, yeah, whatever. Hopefully things get better and COVID gets better. Everybody gets more finances to be able to put on. I mean, more shows. It's just sad right now. We can't leave Ontario. All these Ontario fighters are desperate right now. There's no opportunity. There's no fights. We can't travel. So a year's gone by where athletes in their prime can't really compete. Well, listen, here's an idea. If you're a promotion, why don't you do a pay-per-view model where it's like 20 bucks to buy the event to watch, and you have the fighters get a cut of that. Like, if you give them a code. So let's say Matt Special, your guy, is fighting. Pretty sure they do that. Yeah, yeah you, you put sure in the code, you know, Matt or whatever, Special or something, uh, when you buy the pay-per-view. And for ev- everybody who enters the code, he gets like eight of the 20 bucks, plus he gets like a purse. And then you, you have kind of uh, a more 
you know, a, an approach where you're getting people to try to encourage their friends and family to buy it. And, and tell, yeah, that's, you know. that's how these models work. The the more regional scene shows, they rely on the fighters to sell tickets. And right. Stuff like that, which but that, is, but yeah. what I mean is you just change that to the pay-per-view model. You change it to, to an online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure they tried to do that. Yeah. So who knows? I don't know if it would work, but uh, hey, you know, no harm in trying, right? That's it. So hopefully things get better. That's all I'm hoping for. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, the UFC 261. Masvidal, full camp against Usman. What What do you think his chances are this time around? Uh, do you think that they're basically the same as last time? Do you think that he's uh, basically got a puncher's chance? Like, what, what do you think of his chances? And do you think that he's kind of being disrespected going to the spot because of what we saw the first time? You know, people people's eyes don't deceive them. And I think that, you know, it's similar to, to the... Um, Stipe and Francis rematch. You know, Stipe, a bunch of money came in on Stipe. People were saying, you know, we know that Stipe has the code to beat Nganu, but that was a different Nganu then than we saw at that, in that fight. And I, I think you can say the same thing about Masvidal, who will have a full camp and will have trained specifically to beat Usman. Yeah, I mean, Masvidal, I think, always has a chance. I think he's a fighter. He's got experience he's been in there but i personally don't think the time is going to be enough for him i i just think camaro is his pressure his grinding his dedication to the game his wrestling his ability to use the clinch i mean i think i think he gets the win again but i think we'll see a little bit more of a competitive fight i think no matter what if you're at Masvidal's level, a full camp has to give you an advantage, whether it's the cardio to push or even the confidence to be like, hey, I know I can push the pace because we know Masvidal's got a fantastic gas tank, right? So um, his style is constant pressure in your face. So I think we'll see a better one. But is it enough to get the job done? I might. I still have to lean towards uh, Kamaru. But I think Masvidal... Money will come in on him because he's such a good talker, because he's so popular. I think we're going to see money maybe shift towards him as the fight gets closer. Yeah, maybe. And and here's the thing. I mean, if you look at the line last time compared to where it is now, I think Usman was only like a minus 300 favorite the first time they fought on a short notice assignment for Masvidal. That's what's weird about the line. I mean, we, again, we we know what we saw. You know, the first time they fight, there's always that level of intrigue. It's like, well, we saw how he did against a wrestler like Askren. Can he do the same thing and all that? So... You know, I, I think that ultimately that's going to be something we need to look at. Is Not only has he been training for Usman uh, for this camp, I'm sure that since he lost to Usman, he's been training for Usman. Yeah, he, yeah. Ha- he hasn't had another fight coming up. He hasn't been booked for anything. So, you, you know, I think that that probably... Remember what he was saying after that loss to Usman. He said, my number... I don't care. I'd rather fight Usman than Connor. I'd rather fight Usman than anybody else. You know, he was fixated on, on getting that mm-hmm. one back. So... I think that when you when you have that mentality, all you're doing is training to beat that guy. Oh, 100 percent. That that's what fighters do. You, you, like right after, even though I've never fought Nikki Holtzkin again, uh, shout out to Holtzkin with yeah, a good beat, win over John Wayne John Parr Wayne yesterday. Parr. Well, uh, I yeah, don't. Still, I think that though, was, when was that tape? Uh, I don't know. Apparently, it was it, taped. I played last night at like it was on YouTube at I think 8:30 p.m. 9 p.m. Yeah, and I think but it was anyways, taped, and John Wayne Parr was pretending like he was like going, he was going he was and going and competing. Or... He was pretending it was live. He was really, really uh, committing to it. Yeah, I still thought that was a ridiculous fight. John Wayne Parr is 45 years yeah. old, no, and you're fighting that's... a killer Holtzkin in MMA gloves. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, I thought John Wayne did pretty good, by the way. But uh, regardless, but after I lost to Holtzkin, I still think of Holtzkin. You know, I watched a fight yesterday, being like, how would I beat him now? Like, it's it's forever on my mind. Forever, I will sit there and and hit the bag thinking of him. You know, so I think. That's what fighters and martial artists do. So I can see Masvidal thinking the exact same way. Yeah, absolutely. Obsessed. He's probably obsessed with Usman. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And he's been training with Bo Nickel, one of the top amateur wrestlers probably ever. Um, yeah. You know, from Penn State and Bo. You, you watch them training together. You watch, if you've watched uh, some of Masvidal's uh, YouTube series, you can see all the work that he's been putting in with Bo Nichols. And, and you know, that that can only help him in terms of uh, stuffing the, t- the takedowns. And, you know, uh, Masvidal made a good point when I talked to him. I said, you know, Usman was able to take you down and control you. And he was like, he landed five of 16 takedown attempts. So, you know, like this time around yeah. with a full camp, is it going to be as easy, right? And, and this is the thing that would worry me if, if I'm backing Usman in the spot, if I'm betting minus 420 on Usman. He looked good from a striking perspective against Gilbert. If he falls in love with that, that can be a problem. Yeah, if, if he yeah. is, if he is fixated that. on finishing Masvidal and fixated on proving he's a better striker than Masvidal, that's not good. That being said, 
I don't think Usman is, is that type of guy that's not going to try to take the path of least resistance. He's a very strategic fighter. He knows the best way to win fights, and he understands the value of being champion and his legacy. Yeah, and I think having Trevor Whitman could give two things. It can give him the one, that the extra confidence to be a fantastic striker because we all know Whitman's so particular with detail and distance and, and angles and structures. Fantastic coach. So having him could either have that IQ to be like, okay, we're going to use this to wrestle, use this to clinch, or maybe he wants to show Whitman that what he's learning. So maybe he wants to stand a little bit more. So I think it's, we'll, we'll see. I think Camaro is just, he's intelligent. He's one of the more dominant champions we've had. Um, so I think his, I, both of them have fantastic IQ. I would say, you know, IQ is one of the, the biggest strategies for both of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Looking at Ma- footage of Masvidal practicing that knee against Askren beforehand, and yeah, this is what smart, I always say. Right? I always say about that that knee. The if you watch it again, the the nuance, you know, the the, the little thing that he did in the first second of that fight, because that fight was what five seconds. Yeah. I if think you so. watch it second by second in slow motion, the first second of that fight is Masvidal putting his hands behind his back and walking very slowly towards his right, and then just shifting into fifth gear yeah, and running yeah. at him. That yeah. little thing, I think, was enough to throw Ben Askren because if, if you run at him right off the shoot, right, right when the bell goes, the heart rate, your heart rate's pumping right away if you're Askren. If you walk slowly for just that one second, you're fooling the neurological system of Askren into thinking that there's no danger. And then yeah. suddenly, he runs at you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, and, and I'll be honest here, I think I don't think I've ever said this anywhere. So this might be the first time I'm leaking this news. I basically one of my biggest fear in any fight was getting knocked out with the first punch. That was my big fear of any fight because the first punch I'm always scared of because I'm like I don't want to be hit by that person. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like I don't know what I'm terrified of the first punch. Even though like I'm so amped up in the fight, I don't really care to touch gloves in the beginning of the fight. I'm so focused on it. But even before the first bell rings, I'll put my hand out being like, let's touch hands. And if he shakes his head no, at least I know I'm going to stay back because I don't want that first punch. I'm going to come up with my hands glued on my head. If he touches me, I want him to touch my hand. So at least this way, I I know he's not going to cheap shot me right off the start. Because I've seen too many times people touch and hit. And I was like, the last thing I want to be is part of a, of a one-punch knockout highlight. So I always, even though I didn't care about touching hands in the beginning of the fight, I always made sure I put my hand out to, to know so I didn't get hit with that. So maybe Ben Askren, even though he's not fighting again, but for new fighters, like do, start using that. I'm telling you, try, put your hand out. Let know before that bell rings if they're going to touch hands or not because you need to be careful from that first shot is one of the most dangerous. I, I can't remember if that was the co-main event or not. With Askren and Masvidal, because if so, then they have that glove touch that the referee kind of they uh, force you in. Dictates. Yeah, but they always yeah. set you back, and then mm-hmm. they're like, "Go! I'll always have my hand up." Ten That's out of ten. True. You've fights. been in main events before. That's true. Yeah, just put my hand out. Like they'll always talk to you first, then they send you back to the corner. But even when they you wait for the bell, I'll always put my hand out. If you look at my fight with Raymond Daniels, Raymond Daniels, even though the bell rang, he sat in the corner for like thirty seconds and where everyone's like we're like waiting, we're like he's doing his pre fight ritual. Even after that I probably should have just rushed him and hit off the start, even though I gave you an extra thirty seconds to do your pre fight routine. So put the hand out. Make sure you get that touch before the fight starts. It's, it's important. And speaking of Raymond Daniels, shout out to Raymond Daniels, a win in Bellator last week using the grappling, surprisingly. Mm. And he fought my friend. That's actually another glory fighter, Peter Stenonic. I've called three of his glory fights. Peter Stenonic so, yeah. got hit in the groin in that first fight with uh, yes. uh, just an ungodly vicious kick. And I'm glad that he can yeah. walk again, let yeah. alone fight that fight this past week. But it still continues to show, like, no disrespect to Peter because he's a good, fantastic fighter. But Peter is a 7-0 and kickboxer, you know, 7-1, and 7-0, just started with glory, fights big gloves, not really an MMA fighter. So those – you can see that Raymond Daniels still continues to get the favorable matchups, you know. Well, like yeah, he, they, they, they want him to look good. Yeah, and Peter Stenonic is a 155 fighter. Like, he fights glory at 155 when he did against other North American fighters. So to fight a weight class up against one of the greatest, you know, strikers of all time. I mean, Peter's a, a tough guy, doesn't care, you know, good on him. But 
I mean, if you're gonna, it's it's about time. Let let's test him a little bit, you know. Let's give him a a fight. I think um, worth it, or a better striker, or someone that could entertain him a little bit more. And while we're on the uh, the Bellator, uh, while we're talking Bellator, shout out to Julia Budd and her stepson uh, Lance Gibson Jr. for getting their wins uh, last week. And I've got a pretty bold proclamation now, Joe. Okay. I think Corey Anderson is now the favorite to win that tournament. Uh, yes. And I think that I think that after what we just saw him do to um, Yagshimuradov, I, I know, and I know we, that you know people don't know a ton about Yagshimuradov, but the way that he handled him, I don't know who's going to beat Corey Anderson in this field. I think Corey's going to be able to beat Ryan Bader in the next fight, and then I, I think he ends up uh, beating uh, the winner of uh, who's left on. The, I know it's Nemkov, Nemkov and who's and who's on. and. Uh... Why am I forgetting? Because that fight would have happened already, no? Because uh, Phil Davis lost to Nemkov. It was Bader. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to remember who That's Nemkov's a... facing. I don't know why I'm, I'm blanking also. Has that fight not happened yet, maybe? Hello? Oh, I thought I lost my mic there for a second. Yeah, yeah to... I don't know. As well. Let's see. Bellator... But I wasn't overly impressed with Nemkov's win over Phil Davis. Neither was I. But it's hard to look good against Phil Davis. Yeah, Phil Davis is OG. But uh, but still, I, I I agreed with you. I think Anderson, Corey Anderson, his ability. And, and what was his last fight in the UFC, too? Knocking out Johnny Walker, right? No, his Johnny last fight Walker. was losing to Jan Blachowicz, I think, wasn't it? But before that, it was the big knockout yeah, to yeah. Walker. Yeah, when we all Sorry, it's Anthony Johnson Romero. Yoel, Yoel and Anthony oh, yeah, Johnson yeah, yeah. is what's left. How do, that, how do we forget that? That's who Nemkov's fighting, right? Yeah, that's who Nemkov's fighting. Yeah. But I think Corey Anderson can beat those guys, too. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, Although, Anthony, we'll Johnson, Anthony Johnson touches him, he can turn to dust, so who knows? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm that's the fight I'm most excited for, obviously. Johnson-Romero? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but... Uh, Anything else at UFC 261 we want to talk about uh, before we maybe t- touch on some Triller? You watched that Triller oh, card, Joe? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I'm going to say unfortunately, but yeah, it was it was okay. Did you see my uh, Did you see my my uh, back and forth with Gokan Saki yesterday on Twitter? No, I did not. So what happened? So some future odds came out for uh, for for Jake Paul, his next opponent, and one of them was like ten to one Gokan Saki. <laughs> So ten to one out of all fights, yeah, the, okay. That that would be the next opponent. So I wrote John, Jake Paul versus Gokan Saki sounds like something that is definitely going to happen, which of course yeah. is sarcastic. Uh, sarcastic, but he didn't take it that way. So what what did Gokan write? Gokan Gokan retweets it and writes, "It will only be fair if Jake Paul and his brother and his sissy squad line up the same night. I'll do two to three fights in the same night." There you go. <laughs> and what was the other thing he responded to? With something else as well, but uh, who would who would did you? It was that was just a made up. They have li- they have it? lines for next opponents. So there's Joe Fournier uh, plus one fifty who uh, who fought this past weekend as well. Uh, Dylan Danis, Tyron Woodley, B J Penn, Tom Fury, who's uh, Tyson Fury's younger yeah, brother. I heard that. Uh, Gokhan Saki, Chris Lieben, Conor McGregor, and uh, and Nate Diaz. So I'm like Go. When I saw Gokhan Saki, I was like, first of all, Gokhan Saki is a heavyweight or like at least a light heavyweight. Oh yeah. Uh, so he would be. I mean. There's not there's not a chance Jake Paul would sign a contract to fight Gokan Saki. Like there's just a zero percent chance. Yeah, zero. Like I mean, you may as well take your money that's... and and light it on fire. Yes, yes, that's the the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> the scariest puncher of all time. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I have that's a feeling. Hilarious. I have a feeling that's not. I don't think. He, I, I bet you Jake Paul doesn't know who Gokan Saki is. Unfortunately, no, probably not. No, yeah. I guarantee he doesn't. So, uh, your takeaway from that event? Uh, you know, Ben Askren gets uh, gets knocked out very early in that fight. Uh, it looked like he was going to be able to continue, but I guess the referee didn't. Uh, you know, he thought otherwise. We're talking about the Georgia Commission here, who I'm sure don't have the uh, the greatest referees. No, no disrespect. Yeah, I don't know. I I always thought. I, I mean, I got in. I got caught up in it. I, I mean. When you first asked me about this fight, I'm like, I'm like, Jake Paul's gonna kill him. I said Jake Paul, and then the hype and hearing all the MMA community and thinking about back to his world title fights, and then I was like, yeah, I could see Ben Askren winning. So then I went to the Ben Askren side, and then as the fight started, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> I was like, I should have stuck with my initial gut, but uh, I just thought the way they presented it, I mean, it was different. 
I think that's the key word. It's different. It's not what fight fans are used to, and I think that what kind of threw a lot of people off. I don't want to say it was bad, but it was different. I think that's the key for me, that it was different. Well, yeah, there's a lot of hyperbole around it, and I think that people just need to kind of embrace it for what it is. Like, listen, yes, you're going to get... that's how a, I took it. After. Basically, they're trying, to, they're trying to draw from as many audiences as possible. So you've got these young people that like Jake Paul, people that are, that are into YouTubers, He'll, they'll draw that audience. Then you got the MMA community who want to see Frank Mirbox and, of course, want to see Ben Askren and how, how he does against a YouTuber. So you're drawing that community. And then mm-hmm. you've got f- fans of boxing that want to see Rougarou uh, fight as well. You know, uh, So when, when Rougarou ends up fighting against Red Catch, like, that's a good boxing match. So they're drawing. And then you've got people that are just inter- interested in the spectacle and the pop culture and the circus-like atmosphere. So you're drawing from all these different audiences, and it does well. But it's it has nothing to do with boxing. Like it has nothing. It's yes. not an indictment on boxing and what yeah. you know the state of boxing and all that. It's just got nothing to do with any of that. And then I don't know if you heard this other news that came out uh, last night. They're gonna do Showtime is gonna put on Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul on a pay per view that's gonna go against the Teofimo Lopez fight that Triller's putting on. Hmm. Wow! On the same night. Okay. So that's... clearly. The boxing community and the boxing promoters are taking Triller very seriously because they now want to counter program and say, hey, 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 this is. But they're counter programming with a fight that Triller would normally want to put on, I would imagine, a Mayweather versus Logan Paul fight against Triller putting on a legitimate Teofimo Lopez boxing match that they're yeah. paying Teofimo $6 million for. Jeez, yeah. Huh. Well, it's real. I mean, I think it's there. They, they've created a need, they've created a market, they've found the money to support it. I mean, it's 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 a thing now. I think we just got to take it as a thing. I mean, it was hard to watch for me because, like, the first few fights were it was obviously fixed. The boxer versus the reggaeton singer, like, he was like letting him go. He knocked him out in the second with a body shot, but you can tell he was hunting for the body. I mean, so like those kind of things, and then the musical concerts in between were too long for me. I lost attention in between. So I mean, those things like. It didn't catch my attention, so it kind of bored me a bit, but, I mean, it is what it is. I took it for what it was, and I'll watch it again. I'll, I'll watch it again, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it just depends on what they do, right? And, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Do you, do you find that the commentary is disrespectful to the fighters? They're in kind of an empty building. They can probably hear what the uh, the fighters, what the announcers are saying. And they're, yeah. you know, the announcers are ripping these guys sometimes. And I mean, Oscar yeah. De La Hoya should be nowhere near a microphone ever again. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, that was that was <laughs> that 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 was humiliating in my opinion. Like to put I that agree. guy in that state in front of a microphone, he sounded like like your yeah. drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, you had Snoop Dogg smoking his joints. I mean, it was cool. It's different. That's Snoop, but I mean, I don't know. It was different. It was definitely different. It yeah. was it was unique. And then, I, I and enjoyed there's the, the first musical one. acts and stuff like that. And they, the production was okay for that. I, I thought that the the production for the actual boxing wasn't great, but the production for the uh, the live acts was pretty good. <laughs> I I really enjoyed the the Mike Tyson. Roy Jones, I thought Izzy did great. I thought him with Snoop was good. I thought Morrow. I thought the three of them were good in uh in the Tyson fight I just now they made it too much of a of a different spectacle yeah, they were like to have Morrow was nice you know to have an Izzy like in my mind, they should have had three guys, too many people up there, too many people talking. You have an MMA guy, a boxing guy, and a good play-by-play. Like, I thought someone, like, who could have been fun for me is, like, Todd Grisham would have been fun because he can play up and joke a little bit. Todd with, like, an MMA fighter, like an Izzy and another boxer could have been fun. I mean, but I think this was too much of a, of a circus at some points, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no denying that. But I think, again, it's one of those things where you got to kind of uh... – Accept it for what it is, right? Like it's, it's hard not to. Yep, and it's the thing we're talking about most still. I mean, I, I know it's annoying that, but you go on YouTube, every channel, it's all about this fight. So things are, uh, things are definitely heated up in this boxing world here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's it's getting competitive. And but do you think that it has anything to do with boxing, like the state of boxing? And you know, people say, oh, well, this is the state of boxing right now. This is. I mean, I th- I think that there are way too many governing bodies, and we're not seeing the best versus best a lot of the time. But uh, you know, I I I also don't think that that's necessarily uh, you know an indictment on the boxing, the state of boxing as a whole. No, I just think it's 
the problem is it with with me. I just think it's it's making non fighters think they're fighters. People trying to fight for money, and all that's going to happen is someone's going to get really hurt one day. Someone's going to eat a shot, get knocked out, and not understand how serious concussions and head injuries are, and they'll be like, "Oh, that was a dumb idea." To just fight like that. But I mean, when you're making, if you're Ben Askren, like everyone's ripping Ben Askren, like there's rumors he made $1.2 million. Yeah. Like there is rumors he made $1.2 million, US dollars, that is. So I mean, in a time where Ontario is closed and gyms can't open and, you know, people are struggling, that man made $1.2 million. It's a lot of Bitcoin, Joe. Right hand. It's a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> That's his thing. I heard Bitcoin, yeah, so yeah. I don't know anything about it. I wish I did, but Ben Askren's doing okay. I'll get on the so. phone with Faraz. Faraz will tell you all about it. Yeah. He's a big right. uh, blockchain guy. Apparently, if you got into it, you're laughing right now. Did you watch the video Faraz put out about the police harassing him? No. Yeah, you I might want to watch that. It's interesting. As a, as a gym owner in uh, in Canada. Okay. It might, it might Is be it on Instagram? It's on YouTube. Instagram? It's on Faraz's okay. YouTube channel. All right. I'll listen to it right after this. I feel bad for Faraz. It seems like he's being unfairly targeted by uh, the uh, the downstairs occupants of uh, or or fellow building occupants mm-hmm. seems to be uh, calling the police on him, and he seems to he's he's in compliance every time they show up. But they've come to his gym sixteen or seventeen times, kicking everybody out, probably right. Well, they're coming knocking at the door, banging on the door, and uh, and Faraz says that the people that are complaining against them, they're the ones that are in uh, violation of the. Uh, the guidelines, so I don't know. I mean, I, but, I, I, mean, I was Mont- supposed to talk Mont- to Faraz this week. I should catch up with him soon. Yeah, Montreal, I mean, I, I know it's a very similar, but I think they're only allowed 10 people. Still, gyms are allowed open in Montreal, I understand. Yeah, it's private lessons, I think, are, oh. and there's a certain amount of people allowed in the building. And uh, yeah. But I mean, that's something ones. at least. That's what I yeah. kind of feel like Ontario should do, at least allow something to happen at the gyms to to pay for the loss in, in our rent and, and our bills. At least let us break even. I mean, that's what I always say about at least a restaurant can do takeout to kind of cover the losses. A gym can't do personal training can't do outdoor classes can't do anything like i can't stand 10 feet away from someone to watch them hit the bag and give them instructions but you know i mean i mean i'm ranting again but i just think it's ridiculous that at least allow the gym like montreal put anything you want but allow every business to have some opportunity to run at the smallest level at least i think as as long as you don't go camping you should be safe yeah or don't go by yourself and hit a few golf balls I, i don't i don't get it yeah. Well, anyhow, let's 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 uh, get get out of the local version of this uh, this thing and talk a little bit uh, more about uh, about the fights. I mean, so with with Triller going forward, I mean, I guess uh, Jake Paul they're they're going to try to figure something out with him in the future. Uh, is there who do you think he's going to call out? Like who who do you think is a realistic person that he would box? I I think the next fight he'll probably go after since the it's there is the Dylan Dennis. It's not going to be the, not going to be Gokan Saki. The odds are ten to one <laughs> on him fighting Gokan Saki. I think Tyron Woodley. I know they had beef. That I actually, did. You watch that little incident that uh, Tyron had with Jalen Love, the boxer in yeah, the corner. Yeah, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. It seemed like just a little bit of a little bit of smack talk. But I don't little know. trash talk. Yeah. I, mean, they, they I just think dis- Woodley was by himself. He got kind of like bullied out a little. Yeah, bit. he was there to check the gloves, right? And then then you've yeah. got all these guys that are talking to him. But I mean, the thing is, these boxers don't understand that. Like, if if there was a, a if if I'm Tyron Woodley, I say, okay, I'll fight this guy, I'll box this guy, but we'll do one round boxing, one round MMA. Yeah, and then yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, or if I'm Woodley, I'll be like, what happens when I double leg you and slam you on your neck, and then I I ground and pound you and take your yeah. arm, or or I take your back and I slowly watch you go to sleep in a rear naked choke. I was like, oh, who's talking now? You don't have enough oxygen to be talking now, Mister Jalen Love. Like yeah. that's what these they gotta understand. Yeah, I might not know the gloves, but I know everything else around that. Yeah, and I mean Tyron can box. He can box. Tyron's a decent boxer. I'm sure he's boxed a lot of top level pro boxers in his career to get ready for his camps. Well, he was saying uh, in, that he, in an interview he did with Ariel Hawani this week that he uh, he basically he was doing 80 percent boxing training early in his career because he knew that the wrestling was going to be like was going to keep him on the feet and like people weren't going to be able to take yeah. him down early on. And his boxing, you know, as long as he had worked on his hands, he'd be able to knock guys out because he of, of you know his basically he's, he's pretty physically gifted i mean he's look at look at the guy's build i mean he's and he can channel that power into his hands i mean look at how far it got him he became a champion yeah no i agree i mean i i just think jake paul's too smart he'll take fights that he can win but i mean 
I have to be honest, the kid could box pretty good. I mean, he's we haven't seen him box well, but he's got power. He's putting the work in behind it. He believes in himself. He believes in the power he has. The people around him are hyping him up. So that kid fought with confidence. That kid fought with – he fought as a fighter. I mean, the kid can the kid can fight. I don't know if he could box. There's a diff- well, there's hey, a difference between fighting hey, and boxing. How about we have him box know? the guy who's headlining the PFL's card this week? I mean uh... – I'm not talking about the guy that's a teammate of Ben Askren, Anthony Pettis. How about Clay Collard? Have him block, box Clay Collard. Some, uh, Clay, Collard Clay Collard is a, a phenomenal boxer. Yeah, don't know enough about him, but, I mean, those are fights that I'm sure Jake doesn't want. No, definitely not. He doesn't <laughs> no. want fights that he's going to lose. Yeah, but, I mean, build him for what he is. Like, he's building pay-per-views. He's making millions. He's fighting people at that should be at his level. I mean, you're asking a 3-0 and boxer to fight uh, someone like a, a Woodley that's got like all this experience. It's different. I mean, he's building up properly. He's he's building the attention. He's doing it right. Why would he want to take a fight that he's going to lose? I mean, do it smart. Let me get your opinion on something. I spoke to a UFC president Dana White this week. If you uh, subscribe to the TSN MMA show on the interview edition, you can hear that interview. Um, and he mentioned, you know, I asked him about the incident with Jeremy Stevens and. Um, Oh, yeah. To a car close, which resulted in the fight getting scratched because close ended up suffering a whiplash and a concussion as a result of getting pushed at the uh, with the weigh-in uh, stare downs at the face-offs. And Dana said basically Sean Shelby should have been more assertive, should have gotten in there, should have made sure that that didn't happen. Uh, who who do you put the onus on in these situations, and uh, what do you think of these things? I mean, I know that it promotes the fights to have these guys lay hands on each other at the at the stare downs, but I think there should be a more hard and fast rule about physical contact at these things because, quite frankly. You know, nobody's signing up to get into physical altercations outside of the cage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough situation. Jeremy Stevens, a vet, he's trying to build the fight, co-main event. He's got some excitement. It's never really happened. Have, have we ever heard of a situation like this where a fighter hurting themselves from a push? So, I mean, it's very rare. But it it's also eye-opening. It's eye-opening to be the other person to stare down. Like, I don't know now if you're a fighter, you should approach someone with your hands behind your back. Like, I mean, at that point now, I think every fighter should have at least their hands in front to be able to block or to brace or to be prepared. But I think that the, the, the issue has to go on Jeremy Stevens. I mean, even Mick Maynard, like, it, he doesn't know. That push came out of nowhere. It was fast. Every fight, they go nose-to-nose. You don't expect you know, a push to happen. I mean, so I wouldn't say it's his fault, but I think it's all on Jeremy Stevens. I don't, I think he, but I mean, it's also not his fault. I mean, it's like almost like an eye poke. Like, I don't mean to eye poke you. I mean, I just, it was a reaction. It happened, but he should be blamed for it. And he should be the one penalized for it. If anyone. Yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, the commission has these rules in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening. They want to have the promoter on stage and make sure that, that they, they get in between, but nothing, you know, it was very fast. I mean, it's blink of, blink of an eye fast. Yeah, of he, I don't know how quickly Sean Shelby would have been able to react to that in general. I mean, he got between them after the push, but the push is what did oh, the damage. Oh, Shelby, not Mick Maynard. Yeah, Sorry, Sean I said Shelby. Mick Maynard. But I mean, again, Shelby, he's, you're looking at two of the elite fighters of the world what is sean shelby gonna do against two guys who want to scrap like that i know there's security guards there but you can't put it on on the situation they they often have like they're they're public like uh they're publicists or like uh people in their media relations department staring them off like chris costello stares them off sometimes and i wouldn't expect chris costello to get in between two guys that are about to fight the guys he's trained in communications and no disrespect to chris costello but i don't i think chris costello would probably agree with me but how many times have you seen Dana White in pictures where, like, the guys are fighting and Dana's yeah, like, like, right like he's scared or, like, sometimes he gets well, he in, but sometimes he, like, flinches. Like, you have to flinch. I would flinch. I'd probably take a step back. If I seen two guys in each other's face, like, naturally I'm going to want to step back because I don't want these guys to hurt me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I have natural instincts to be okay in situations like that, but I'd still be scared. So you can't expect those guys. And there was the time I mean, where John Jones shoved uh... – and I DC, think it was John was Jones it? shoved Anthony Johnson, but it was a prank. Like, they were pranking Dana White. Yes, 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 and yes. they were both yeah. laughing afterwards. But, like, even still, like, Dana still allowed that to happen at the time. He wasn't ready for it, right? Like, these yeah. things can kind of happen. It's a, it's unfortunate. I, I just think the unfortunate is for uh, – is it Close? How do you say his last name? Dracar Close, yeah. 
close. Yeah, I mean, I think close is he's the one that got the bad end of it. You can't say he's faking or doing anything wrong. Like, and everyone's like, well, he had a pre-existing injury. You tell me which MMA fighter does not have a neck injury. Mm-hmm, tell right. me which well, fighter sort of doesn't have a cervical into a vertebrae into their neck. Okay, anywhere else, but every wrestler fighter has some sort of neck pain, neck injury. Every wrestler has some like there's there's neck problems. That's a big thing when it comes to MMA is the neck issues. So was there a pre-existing neck issue? Yeah, I'm sure there was. Is there concussion issues? Yeah, I'm sure there was because you're you're an athlete and you're dehydrated and you're not expecting the shot. You got whiplash, your brain smacked against your head, and now you have to fight. It's not fair. Yeah. It's not. Fair. And, and the fact, so that, he, the fact that he's you know having to put out medical documents so that people believe him is pretty ridiculous too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. But I mean, he has to do it to keep his honor, which I think is sad. But like, did he get paid? I know someone yeah, was saying. Yeah. Like, apparently, he did get paid his show money. Okay. Yeah, but still, like show okay you went you came to fight now what could he fight again he probably even has to take a 60-day suspension if it's his neck and his head you know you're getting some sort of medical suspension you can't fight again so i mean it's kind of unfortunate Mm -hmm. i don't think he got the fair he probably should have maybe got half of the win bonus because i mean at least i mean he doesn't take any any damage in a fight and gets gets his show money but the i i i don't disagree with you i think that you know these guys should be compensated fairly in these situations it's not his fault because you plan to win. You like if I got if I'm in the UFC and they're like 50 to show, 50 to win, right away I'm like, "Oh, 100 grand. I'm talking about $100,000 because I'm predicting I'm going to win. I've already thought about how I'm going to spend 100 grand, where I'm going to save my 100 grand, how much bitcoin apparently I'm going to buy now with my 100 grand." So, ultimately like you plan it out. So now all of a sudden you're taking away half of my potential to win. So maybe there should be like that, "Okay, I'm going to give you half of your win money or something." I don't know. It's just not fair when it's 50-50 like that to get paid and you can't fight and have a chance to win double your money. You got to compensate a little bit. Maybe he has. Maybe they kind of throw him an extra 10K on the side or something, but I'm sure they hopefully help him out. Yeah. Well, here's something. Yeah. Uh, What else do we got uh, on this week's card? Anything stand out to you outside of the uh, the three fights? You got uh, Chris Weidman, Uriah Hall, Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute rounding out the main card. It's a pretty sick main card. Oh, yeah, that main card is stacked. I mean, very excited. I just hope uh, Uriah Hall comes to scrap. I mean, sometimes I find we see a little hesitation in him. But if that man lets himself go and lets his striking unfold, he he can bring some good fights. So um, excited to see him with Weidman, Anthony Smith, Jim Crute's a, a fun fight. So, I mean, yeah, hell yeah. I'm trying to look through the prelims now if anything stands out. I mean, I think that Alex Oliveira, Randy Brown fight's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I mean, Carl Roberson, my guy from Glory, against Brendan Allen. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything, so that's, anything that's else. That's definitely – Brendan Allen's all grappling, right, against uh, Carl well, his striking His no? striking's pretty good, but I, th- I think that that's probably the path of least resistance. Where Carl's all big power striking, so. In fact, I'm looking at a headline right now. Carl Roberson knows he has to stay off the ground against Brendan Allen. Yeah, you yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that might be a good idea. But that power Carl Roberson has, I, I want to say the best thing about Carl when I when I met him and his team, it's the confidence that he has, that he does not care who he fights, like a straight up does not care. Like the confidence him and his team have, I think, is why he's here doing pretty good. And I think he even stepped in last minute to fight, uh, what was it, Glover one, at one point? Uh, yeah, he was he was gonna step in on short notice. I, I don't know if it was was it against Glover? Was it Glover or yeah. was it? Uh, it was it was a big name too, and I was like. For him, because he doesn't really care, which is uh, is impressive. Yeah. Uh, anything else we uh, we got coming up? Uh, I oh. just heard Dana talk about how Kobe Covington's going to get the next shot. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, and I think that makes sense. I think regardless of who wins that fight, that's a big fight. Yeah, it's great. I think it sets up a perfect matchup. I I would like to see it with uh, Masvidal just because of a little bit of extra beef and the heat around it, but. I mean, there's a lot so, of heat around Usman also, right? I mean, I yeah. think either way you're kind of good. You know what we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about Calvin Gastelum and uh, and Whitaker. Any any takeaway from that fight? I actually won. Calvin Gastelum's got a blockhead I know. and no neck. The guy's just incredible. That's just impossible to to finish. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna say it. I mean, I am. I could watch Calvin win or lose fight, and and I hope. People don't look at his record and, and his, his win and loss recently because he hasn't been on his winning ways. But he's fighting the top of the division on a small frame, and he just 
you hit him with a kick, a punch. He does not move, doesn't even flinch. His head just keeps it's, – it's incredible. So, I mean, I think he brings the fight every single time. He's exciting. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Gaslam fan. But what really stuck out to me was Whitaker and the way he uses his jab. And he looked sharp. His distance was good. I mean, you got to think he put a, a, a dominant performance. And when you think of the Gaslam Izzy fight, so I think Whitaker has improved. Uh, Whitaker's looking sharp. I think uh, the matchup next, and I think everyone agrees it's uh, going to be Whitaker and Izzy. Yeah, and I think it has to be. And I also think that it's a different fight this time around. Like, it seems like the Whitaker that went in to fight Izzy was in a really bad place. Um, yeah. And now you see Israel coming off the loss. He's going to have a lot of pressure on him to, to perform. That's going to be an interesting... I just think there's an interesting set of circumstances going into that fight. Yeah, I, I, I was... Uh, I mean, with Whitaker, I mean, I've always liked and appreciated his skill set, but I think it really stood out... Uh, this, this fight here, I think his confidence, his distance control, um, and, and again, like he's not going to make big mistakes. Like when he fought Izzy, the big mistake is rushing in, getting caught with those counters. And I mean, you saw him patient. He used his jab a little bit cleaner, stayed away from counter shots. You got to think Gaslam's counter punching and his big bomb is his best thing. So he was able to stay patient, keep his length, and I think that's what uh, we'll see with Izzy. But you're talking about a... What would we say? A five ten Kelvin Gaslam against a six two six three Izzy. So I mean, it'll be a little bit different, but uh, the IQ of Whitaker really showed this weekend. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think he's a much improved fighter, and I think that him making those little changes in his life have have really gone a long way. Uh, so kudos to him. I mean, how often do you see a guy, a former champion who has multiple title defenses, have to fight three fights before they get back into the title picture? It's just never happened that way. Like it, for him to to come back and do that in, su- in such a short period of time as well. I mean. Think of from when he lost the belt. He has uh, wins over uh, Till, Cannoneer, and uh, now Gastelum. I mean, that's a pretty impressive resume in such a short time. Well, one thing I learned about Whitaker, uh, I mean, even preparing for the show, is that he likes world titles, obviously, because he's going for them. And he really likes children. He had his fourth kid, and he's only like 30 or 31. Yeah, he's like the Philip Rivers of, of, of MMA. I'm I'm turning 35, 36. Ooh, I'm adding a year. I'm turning 36 May 3rd with zero kids. So Whitaker, man, good stuff. Man. Well, I had three Four by kids. the time I was 36. So I mean, I still beat you by five years. Actually, you know, have one more. I have, how old was I when I had my my two? Yeah, I think I was 36 when I had my two year old. So 36. Okay. Yeah. So you really had three kids by 34. No, by 36, I had three kids. By 36. Oh, okay. Three, okay, I took the two years. Okay, yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah, so you're, so you're behind close. me. You're, you're running behind, Joe. Behind, yep. Well, you got to have one championship, and I got to have three kids, and then we're even. <laughs> I, I have a feeling like you, you've got a better chance of getting three kids before I get a, a three kickboxing Three kids and champion. a world championship. Yeah, we'll see. You never know. It doesn't have to be in fighting. We can do a world championship in something else. I'm trying to think of what I'd be able to win like a, a world championship in like what would I have a chance of, of winning a world? I don't even know if there is a thing I, that I could be better than everybody else at. I thought about it outside of fighting. I was like, what could I do? And nothing came to mind. I don't think, I think I'm done. I think fighting my only thing. I was like, maybe some sort of sport, something that requires focus, something that requires, you know, good confidence and hand-eye coordination. I couldn't think of anything. I might be able to, I might be able to win like a, uh, like a watermelon eating competition. I can eat a lot of watermelon. That's pretty good. That's impressive. Yeah, I love watermelon. I think I actually have an, like an addiction to it. Did we talk about this last week? I think last show, and I told you to add feta cheese to it. Yeah, watermelon and feta cheese. But I, I was saying to my, my my wife has like put like a, a limit on the amount of watermelon I can eat now because it like made me sick the last Man. time, the last two times I ate it. And I said, I said, I think I have like an, I think about watermelon a lot, like about eating it, and about yeah, it's uh, that good. yeah, I think about wanting to eat it, and I think about how it smells. I, I love the way it tastes. I have like an unhealthy addiction, I think, to watermelon. And yeah. I, I don't Addiction know if that's a real thing. Nice love. You, you talk about it, you know, like you, you really love watermelon. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. I feel like it's I... It's like me with coffee. I think you sound like my morning coffee. Oh, yeah. I need that's my morning coffee, That's how I explain too. my morning coffee. But I think – but the thing about coffee is it has like an actual addictive stimulant in it in caffeine. Whereas watermelon, yeah. I don't think it has any of that stuff. Like, I don't think it has anything that's truly addictive in it. A little bit of that sugary, watery it's not like flavor. Natural sugars, but uh, you know, and people can it's get addicted nice. to sugar. But you can get sugar from many other places. Yeah. If it's a bad watermelon, you're still eating it. Doesn't matter. Well, what's a bad watermelon? I mean, does that exist? 
Yeah, but like a if a it's, bad an, if it's like not ripe, like if it's like juicy, really underripe, I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like getting a watermelon. The, I also know how to tap on the watermelon at the store, so I know I'm getting a good one. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Does the nail scratch test is that a real? That's thing? not what I use. I knock on it, and the the more hollow it is, that's that's how I know it's a good watermelon. Because I guess when it's ripe, it kind of cracks open a little bit, so you get a little bit more hollowness. Yeah, or? I don't know what it is, but you knock, and the more hollow it is, that's the best. You get a better watermelon. It seems, My, it seems to work like nine times out of ten. So do you put your ear to it and you tap around? Yeah. And yeah. You take it. You take it serious. I hope. Oh yeah, of course. I, mean, I about heard the here. nail scratch. I, I heard the nail scratch. I don't even know the real. nail scratch. What is so that? So if it's ripe, I guess like you can run your nail on the on the grind or the whatever grind, it is. Yeah. And then if it's ripe, like the skin would rip off very easily, apparently. Hmm. I guess. I don't know. So you kind of you scrape it. I don't know. Someone, maybe my parents taught me that. I don't know if it's real or not. I have to Google it. But uh, I know the knock test is definitely a good one. But That's try the I scratch use. test. We're going to try it. All right. Well, uh, one last shout-out from last week. I want to uh, give a shout-out to Gerald Mearshard. Nice submission win uh, in, in his fight. And uh, he's having a, his first kid with his wife very soon, in the coming weeks. So, uh Congrats to Gerald. Got the bonus. Nice to walk come come away after that loss to Hamzat. Uh, you know, a loss yep. that a lot of people were talking about. Bouncing back with a nice uh, a nice submission win over Bartosz Fabinski and walking home with 50k. Good for him. I like it. So, I was uh, laughing because you saw in that fight, you saw he tried to do what uh, Hamzat did to him, crashing the distance, kind of taking that angle that Hamzat hit him with. So, I mean, he probably wanted to give it back, like, because that was the first thing he did in that fight, is what Hamzat did to him. So, I mean, good good on him. Adapt. I like to see when guys, because I know how challenging it is to come back from losses, I really like to see guys who lose in that big, devastating fashion, and then come back, do well, get their bonuses. I mean, that's the true... If you ask me what is the true definition of a fighter, that is it. Go get knocked out in embarrassing fashion, then do a whole training camp, go through all the media attention again, then step in the ring, fight, get a bonus, and win. Like That whole process of training, losing, training again, winning is what being a martial artist is all about. And Gerald's also a, like, he's, he's just a class guy, you know, like, I think it was a couple of weeks after he lost to Hamzat, I said, hey, do you want to talk about it? He said, nobody's been asking me for interviews, but I'm happy to talk about it. And he was like, he was good, he's open about it, yeah. he's open about how he's feeling about it. And Almost like how Askren was after this fight. Yeah, they're teammates as well, so there yeah. you go. It was nice to see some people uh, Askren, lose with class. You know? I mean, Askren's made a lot of money, but I think his legacy is not going to be able to, to withstand what happened this past weekend. You think it tarnishes it? I think so. I mean, I, I listen, he was one of the best in the world for a, a long time, but the game kind of caught up with him. You know, he was he was he thrived on being one-dimensional. He was not afraid to admit that. And, uh, you know, he beat the likes of Douglas Lima, beat Koroshkov. Like, he has good wins, but I think that the, this last chapter of his career is not a good one. And I think that... When people hear the name Ben Askren, they're, they're not going to think, oh, that guy was a dominant battle tour champion. They're going to think that's the guy that got knocked out by Jake Paul, a YouTuber. I, I just <laughs> think that that's the reality of yeah. it. And I don't think he cares that much because he seems to be content but you know, buying yeah. uh, buying uh, bit, Bitcoin and, uh, and cryptocurrency and playing uh, Frisbee golf and just living his best life and not caring about it, which is a great skill to have, a great trait to have. But uh, I, I ultimately just think that when when people hear the name Ben Askren, that's what's going to come to mind. And I, I don't think he, I don't know if he cares or not, but I just I think that's the reality of it. I just think yeah, I think to the the casual fan, yeah, I think so. But I think if you really look at if you're a true person to the sport, I mean, he he did it for the money. Like when we saw Jordan come back years later and play, like we see people come back out of their prime just to try to make money and. I mean, I don't look at it. I, I mean, I try not to look at it that way, but I'm just happy his bank account did well. And no, don't, don't after all him. of that, don't compare Ben Askren to Michael Jordan, Joe. Come on. Okay, sorry. I'm just trying to think of someone who came back, you know. <laughs> but I mean, that's you're right. That's totally. Weird. I mean, when Michael Jordan came back, he was still an excellent player. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, Ben sorry. Ben also was coming sorry. off of hip surgery and was out of shape. Like he I, didn't take it seriously. It looked bad, but. I mean, he made the money. That's what I think matters. At least he got profited for it. But hey, to people, some people be like, screw the money. My legacy means yeah, everything. Like, like George. To ben. GSP would yeah. never do something like that. No, no, not a chance. He wouldn't want to risk that. For for George, a ah, million dollars to ruin all the hard work I did, not worth it. Askren is like, yeah, I already got knocked out once. His thinking was, I already got beat by Masvidal in the worst way possible. Right. What could be worse? Well, that did happen. I think that, I think out. this is worse. This is way worse. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. I'm glad you agree with me. 
this is worse because at least the, he's a fighter. Masvidal's fighting for a world championship right now. We're talking about him fighting for a world championship. We're talking about a three and O boxer, and yeah. So I mean, I think this is definitely more embarrassing. So he accomplished something, uh, two most embarrassing fights in a long time. So, but again, and he doesn't I, care, which is I great. would love. I would love <laughs> that one point two million. If I had, I, I've been, I've been knocked out for. A lot less than that. So if I got $1.2 million to get knocked out like that, okay, I don't but what, know. What if somebody said, hey, Joe, we want you to, uh, to fight Jake Paul. We're going to pay you $1.2 million, but you have to take a dive. Like in the first minute of the fight, he's going to hit you. You got to go down and, uh, and you're knocked out. And you got to pretend you're knocked that. out. Ooh, and now whenever, right people, now. now whenever people think of the name Joe Valtellini, they're like, that's the guy, that, that famous kickboxer that got knocked out in less than I a minute know. by a YouTuber. Yeah, What's the price of your dignity, Joe? Question. It's a tough question right now because gyms have been closed for a year. I haven't been able to travel for glory. So, I mean, eh, 1.2 sounds good. If you asked me last year. Joe, there's no chance you'd do it. I guarantee you you wouldn't do it if push came to shove. No, not take a dive. If you asked me to fight him, I would do it for for (laughs) $120,000. 10%. 50 grand, I'd probably do it. No problem. So, if they want a a 100 grand fight, I'm in. (laughs) So. I actually want Oscar De La Hoya since we talked about him. Yeah. So give me De La Hoya. Just go on Twitter. Put it, out there. Boxing, put it out into the De world. De La Hoya, come on, man. Put it out into the world. Give me De La Hoya. Don't, don't, don't uh, call him out or anything. Just say, you know, as a, as a world-class as a world kickboxer, it was always my dream to get in there with Oscar De La Hoya, who I really respect. And then maybe That's it'll it. happen. That's it. Maybe. They called me the young De La Hoya when I was young, so... That's it. Baby I, think, De La Hoya. I think when Delahoya boxes, what they should do is they should uh, they should mic him, put a put a lapel mic on him, and let him do commentary at the same time. Yeah, there you go. I don't know what's what's gonna happen with that. He's just all over the place. He sure is. Well, Joe, thanks for doing this. We've cracked <laughs> an hour. Let's uh, let's get this out to the masses. Appreciate you doing this. That's we'll be it. back next week. And uh, like I mentioned, TSN MMA show interview edition is also going up today. Uh, interviews with Dana White. With Jorge Masvidal, with Zhang Vei Li, with Rose Nama Yunus. Stacked. Uh, so, yeah, pretty stacked show. So enjoy that as well. Um, and uh, thanks to, for tuning into this one. We'll be back next week. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.